0: Uh, we're live Laura thanks for joining
1: my uh, pleasure so good to be here and chatting with you
0: yeah it's been a long time for sure and I know you're very busy so thanks for taking the time to do this
1: yeah of course
0: the main points really was to uh, have some questions that you know create deeper connections and uh, probe you know our, our thoughts you know um, some things that we might not think, think about on a, on a daily basis but regardless I think it's uh, it'll be a good conversation so Starting off with the first one, what is your favorite movie and why?
1: So my favorite movie, I would have to say that it's La La Land. I don't know why exactly that one stands out to me, but I love the mixture of the different music, the fact that there's a bit of a twist. It's not your typical ending. I don't like movies that are very classic Hollywood that have like the cheesy, romantic, like expected endings. And there's just like a really great um, realness to the story and to their love story as well. So that's one that I can keep watching over and over and over again. Um, another one that I really love and have watched like so many times is Ocean's Eleven for that same reason, right? Like there's like a twist at the end. It's like a different category of movie being in action. Um, but I think it's just like so clever.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched both movies. La La Land is, is cool. I like the fact that it, it, it's musical. They, they added yeah. that kind of layer on top, makes it interesting. And Ocean's Eleven, yeah, that's a classic.
1: It's a classic. It's so great. None of the um, like sequels or anything really lived up to the original, but I could watch the original, like, you know, probably once every couple of months and not get bored of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good movie. So uh, what is your, okay, I want to ask what your favorite book is. I would ask if you were to recommend a book to a loved one, uh, what would you recommend?
1: To a loved one? Just a friend or anyone
0: else, right? Like people close to you.
1: Yeah. So my favorite like business book is shoe dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Um, It's a really, really well-written book and tells a whole story about the creation of Nike. And I think it was just, it was so interesting because each chapter was basically a year. Mm -hmm. So you got to see how some years were like jam packed, like super, super long chapters, a lot going on. And other years were basically him being like, yep, still doing the same thing, like Mm -hmm. selling tiger shoes for first ribbon and like, You know my parents don't really support me like too much in what i'm doing but they're still giving me money kind of idea and really like highlights the struggles and the ups and downs that he went to and establishing this brand that's now of course like globally recognized is synonymous with success and and um like achieving your dreams and i just think it's so remarkable what he's built Mm -hmm. and the story that he tells through through that book um the sun and her flowers would probably be the book that I would recommend to like a loved one or a friend um by Rupi Kaur hope I'm saying her last name right um but it's just like these like the little thoughtful poems I think it's just like so relatable to what so many women in particular go through at different stages within their life or within love or within friendships or family um and it's just like so thought provoking I have a number of her um poems like that I took photos of on my phone and I'll look back on them sometimes it's just very relatable
0: they're there I mean two two things shoe dog I I just bought it two weeks ago that's not my way really nice read. yeah yeah, yeah read it, it. it and this, the sun and the flowers I haven't read but I know Rupi Kaur she like has some very thought-provoking and deep deep poems and it makes you think like wow like the pain that she had to go through to come up with these words it's it's crazy
1: it's amazing yeah her first book and her first collection of poems which of course is she's better known for milk and honey is the one that's like it's a little bit darker um, since it's more about like abuse and like sexual abuse and it's like harder i think to read in that way but the sun and her flowers is a little bit more uplifting more about relationships and love and family so, um, I've, I related better to that one because I've never <laughs> fortunately been an abuse victim. I'm very lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still extremely powerful in what she writes.
0: Definitely. And it's, it's interesting because when you look at, let's say the set of books that an author writes and you kind of look at the journey, you, yeah. you also realize the way that, I mean, their journey, you know, how they feel in that moment, which is like good, right? If it starts with something very, very dark and it, gets better gradually you're looking at kind of that transformation you know of the it's author. super
1: cool yeah and i think like the greatest transformation that i can think of when it comes to an author and being able to see that in their books would be jk rowling in like the harry potter series it's just so cool to see how her writing style and skill evolves and it's interesting because it kind of evolves as harry ages like she initially writes off and it's very simple storylines very simple character developments and then as the story progresses it gets more and more complicated and dark and like it's just it i think that that adds like a level of intrigue to the harry potter series it's a little bit right. underrated and that's another classic that i love
0: <laughs> jk rowling yeah and yeah. you you mentioned an interesting point because in the beginning hers her like jk herself she's also very young right yeah and
1: exactly as
0: as let's say harry potter grows so does she and she gets wiser and her insights Become deeper or darker, or whatever, right? Which is interesting. Yeah. So, what is your current ikigai?
1: So, um, I actually haven't looked this up. I need to know what an ikigai is. I should have prepared. Ikigai
0: is, is a Japanese term. It means a reason for being.
1: Okay. Right? Yeah. Let me look at this this diagram here.
0: Yeah, it's it's a cool diagram. I actually found it really interesting.
1: So, is it like you either can have love, mission? needs vocation paid for profession good at passion
0: yeah so what i think ikigai as is basically the ultimate question of humanity right like what is my purpose and, and what am i doing here and i like to look at it in a way that you don't have to have a fixed static ikigai throughout your life i mean in different phases and in different stages um you have you have different purposes right
1: hmm So I would say for me right now, it's probably mission, like the combination of what I love and what the world needs. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely at a stage where I'm wanting to create and build and like do things that are actually useful and impactful. Um, But I also want them to not just be, you know, just driven strictly by money. That's never really been something that's called to me of just being like, oh, I can make lots of money doing this and feel totally fulfilled by that. Like I need to truly love it and find a purpose in it. Um, so, mission would be the ikigai that I would relate to most.
0: Cool, and uh, this this is this also relates to the work that you're doing right now, right?
1: It does, yeah. So, like the great part about being an entrepreneur, I'm the co-founder of Three Ships, we're a line of natural skincare products mm-hmm. um, that are also affordable. So, this business really came about out of my own frustrations as a consumer. I was just honestly really tired of being ripped off by overpriced skincare products and then also lied to by brands that were greenwashed that claimed that they were natural. But really once I looked at the ingredients, I was like, there's nothing natural about this. Um, so it was those two frustrations that led to the creation of three ships as a brand. And um, I think it's something that I, it's, it's really amazing to see the impact that we're having in our customers' lives. Like I think people tend to think about beauty as being very much, um, Like superfluous and just a vanity play but it's really not like we're impacting these women on such a deep level like in their confidence and their sense of self and their ability to take care of themselves like um, some of the reviews that we get are amazing to see the impact that we've had on these different people's self-esteem like there was this woman who uh, she wrote, she's like, oh, I'm 45. And after a month of using your products is the first time in my life that I have felt confident enough to leave the house foundation free, oh. which is like amazing, right? Like that's such a breakthrough. So to know that I'm able to do something that I find genuinely interesting and that is having such a deep impact on people is really uh, like super incredible and fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm definitely at a stage in my life where like, for me, health and career and like my relationships are all front of mind, but especially career, because I know that if I'm able to achieve what I want through those, that will lead to me being able to spend more time with my family in the way that I want to. Um, and I believe definitely in getting a head start <laughs> when
0: love it comes to your you, career. Love the way you put it because, you know. It, it is it is important to set yourself up in a way that you're able to spend time with those that you love, you know, in, in the future. Uh, definitely true. And then the second thing is actually you building something that you believe is adding value to other people's lives and impacting them positively. That in and of itself is is really, really inspiring because I'm sure you wake up and it propels you to go to work and you're inspired to work every day because you know that you're actually seriously having an impact on people's lives for the better
1: yeah and i'd say the main inspiration is actually it inspires me to do the best work that i can um i think motivation and the desire to get up and be like yeah let's crush this day it ebbs and flows like for everybody including me like there's some days that i'm just like i don't feel i just don't feel it today and you just kind of want to stay in bed and like or like just turn on netflix so i have those days too but I think the main driver for me is that it it propels me to want to do the best that I possibly can. Like I don't have the desire to cut corners or throw in the towel early or like lie to our customers. I really want to make sure that what I'm doing is really, really, really high quality. Like um, within this, there's no such thing as just like clocking in and clocking out. Like when you're given it, you're given it your all. And I yeah. think that that's really what matters here, is um, like the quality of the work that you're doing rather than the amount. And that's something that I wish we would kind of. Change the paradigm on within North America is that there's this kind of endless hu- hustle mentality, whereas I really think it's about working um, in a way that is really making a difference and that you're proud of the work that you've done at the end of the day, even if you've only done worked for four hours. Those quality four hours are more important than working for like twelve that are kind of like just meh.
0: I agree, and unfortunately, it's also because of the incentive system that's, that's yeah right yeah people, people want to you know, satisfy their own personal interests. And, you know, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, if we change that whole system, the incentive system and reward quality over quantity or reward connection over, again, the the quantity of your relationships, that, that can drastically impact society.
1: Definitely. Couldn't agree more.
0: So what new skills are you trying to learn right now?
1: New skills and am I trying to learn? Well, really, the evolution that we're going through within our business is that we're changing from more of like a cottage business to like a real established brand. Um, We're expanding our distribution footprint within the U.S. quite a bit at the start of this coming year. So we're launching into like around 600 new stores within the first two months of next year, including some very, very large retailers. Um, so, one of the challenges that we're facing is how do we prepare ourselves from a back end standpoint when it comes to inventory forecasting, inventory planning, sourcing, our margins? Um, so all of those are areas that I'm trying to improve myself in as well as understanding more about the science behind the products that we create. Um, so with our new our, our brand, like what we really stand for is about transparency with our com- consumer and I have a chemical engineering background, but I don't have a cosmetic scientist or chemist' background. Um, we work with cosmetic chemists who are the ones that formulate our products, and I work hand-in-hand with them, but I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of every single aspect of formulating, so that's an area that I'm really trying to improve on. I'm reading a number of books right now that are about um, like cosmetic chemistry and the science behind skincare and beauty at a, a very deep level. Um, So that's been like actually really cool because it kind of marries my two passions for like the business side and also geeking out on the science chemistry aspect of things.
0: Cool. Interesting. And I mean, that's, that's one of the, one of the things with being a co-founder or a founder of a business is you got to wear a lot of different hats and uh, it's, it's nice, you know, because you learn a lot of things, a lot of different diverse areas of knowledge where you can actually like basically learn a lot from. So that's cool.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'd say like, So that's on like the kind of the business, more like hard skill side, but then on the soft skill side, I think over this last year, I've had to learn how to accept and ask for help when it's needed. I've always been a very kind of strong willed person. That's, I've, I would just rather do it on my own and kind of like, you know, not stubborn, but, uh, strong willed. I would say maybe my parents would say stubborn or my sisters would, um, But I've always had a hard time with asking for help. And then this year, I went through some like health challenges. So uh, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and had to undergo a 10-hour brain operation earlier in the year, right before COVID. And that whole experience has really taught me so much about what it means to ask for help and that it's an okay thing to do and necessary. And actually, that it brings a lot of joy to the people around me. If they're offering help, they genuinely want to give it. And by accepting or saying like, oh, yeah, like I could use your help on this thing like you know i'm having a hard time like doing groceries or like i need your help to come over and like help me with like cleaning because i can't really get around as much um it's something that actually brings them a lot of pleasure which um is a great skill for me to be able to learn and um a good like transformation for me as well just out of unnecessary or unneeded or unwanted ways but still a good lesson to learn
0: yeah that's important sometimes even for myself, you know, I, when I want to go in to ask someone for help, the whole process of even understanding how to do it and what, like, articulating what it is that you exactly need help with is also very important. Very. And how are you feeling, by the way, now? You said you went through a, like a surgery, you know, you, you look good. So.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I feel, like, pretty much normal. Um, It's uh, the surgery, I guess, was a little over six months ago now. So I'm pretty much like I'm done with my recovery. Um, The real hard part was the first two months. That's when you're in like more of like the recovery recovery. And then the hardest, hardest part was probably the first two or three weeks. Um, But I feel like totally normal now. I'd say the only difference is that I'm sleeping a lot more than I did before. I probably need around 10 hours of sleep a day Mm -hmm. now versus before I needed like seven to eight. Um, So my brain's clearly still healing to an extent. Um, otherwise I feel like totally fine yeah it's it's remarkable
0: good to hear and um, people underestimate the value of, of sleep in general I, I feel like mm-hmm. again, talking about the system and out here in North America we pride ourselves on how little we sleep or oh you know I, I can function on four or five hours whatever and I think it's very important like we still don't understand how important sleep is to our system in the long run
1: I totally agree. Like, if we look at the humans as we evolved, like for the majority of our, our time on this planet, like for hundreds of thousands of years, we didn't have electricity. Like, we had fires, but they, those could only do so much. So, like, really, you would fall asleep when the sun set and then wake up when the sun rose, right? And so, the amount of time that people would spend sleeping and resting was so much more than what we spend now.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: now people will stay up until two in the morning, like binging a Netflix show or like, Scrolling through social media, and it just I think it completely throws our bodies out of whack. So, yes. um, I'm a huge advocate for sleep and not like claiming that you can just keep going off of just pure energy and caffeine. I don't think it's sustainable.
0: It's not, it's not sustainable. Short run, it can work, long run, you're in yeah. the life.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, what are your biggest fears, or what's your biggest fear?
1: So I'd say that in general, my biggest fear, and this is going to sound kind of silly, but it's been a fear of mine ever since I was a young child, was being forgotten. And that sounds like a very like woo, weird thing to be afraid of. But I think just the idea that like I could, my whole existence could end up meaning nothing. Like having zero people show up to my funeral would be like a very sad, scary thing for me. And maybe it's a little bit vain, but I think I just really want to make sure that I'm having a positive impact on the people that I meet. And it doesn't need to be like on changing the world. I just want to make sure that I'm leaving people with some sort of a positive memory. Um, and so like, I think that would be my greatest fear, with just being irrelevant and just forgotten by people that I cared about.
0: Hey, that's, that's not uncommon at all. I mean, I, yeah. I have that fear, like oblivion, this is literally oblivion, right? Like, falling into this, like, black hole of I don't know, darkness, no one knows about you, or, you know, you're totally for that. That's scary. But at the same time, you know, I'm sure with the work that you're doing, and the kind of person that you are, you're, you're not even close to that. So <laughs> what you're doing, you know?
1: thanks. Yeah, 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 that's the goal. I'd say I definitely don't fear death. Um, but like, I definitely fear being forgotten.
0: Yeah, I, I don't fear death either. Actually, it's interesting, because I used to think of death as like when I was younger as, okay, this is the end of your life and that's it. But I really believe now that it's just a transformation of energy into something else. So, mm-hmm. know, but you might come, come back as something even better or, or worse depending on you know what you're doing. right. What now. you did
1: in the life. Yeah. I believe in that too. I believe in re- reincarnation. I'm not sure that it's always like intelligent reincarnation where if you did good, then you'll be rewarded in the afterlife or in your second lives. Mm-hmm um but i definitely believe in reincarnation of like our souls and that life is recycled
0: it is yeah you can't destroy energy you can just transform it right
1: yeah exactly
0: so uh how do you deal with your insecurities
1: um that's a great question so i'd say one of my primary (laughs) insecurities has always been like kind of related to that greatest fear which i guess our insecurities are usually based around fear anyways and set that insecurity that like I'm not like significant or not contributing or that like people are, um, you know, like outperforming me, things like that. So uh, especially when Connie and I first started the brand, I remember feeling really insecure about being like, oh, I need to be doing more. I'm not being a good co-founder. And I would just I was just like super hyper conscious all the time about feeling like I wasn't pulling my weight. And then her and I sat down and chatted about it one day and she was like, I feel the same way too. And I was like, how that's crazy. Like you're, you should not be worried about that. So I think it just, it it was a lesson that I think a lot of our insecurities are really just in our own heads. So um, what I mean to say with this is that with facing them now, I just remind myself that's like, okay, this is a story that I'm telling myself. Like these are thoughts and just because they're thoughts doesn't mean that they're reality. So I've been reading this other book lately called Thoughts and Feelings. It's over on my coffee table. It's kind of like this like cognitive behavioral therapy workbook. So it's cool. It takes you through all these different exercises. Um, and one of the exercises is about identifying cognitive cognitive like traps um, mm-hmm. and like how you can navigate out of those. So I think that the identification and the naming of these different minds, traps, or um, unhealthy thought patterns has been the most healthy thing and the most helpful thing for me for like dealing with insecurities is recognizing like okay why am I telling myself this is this really true like what um how can I reframe these thoughts um so I'd say that's been the most helpful thing and just putting those things aside
0: <laughs> it's, it's important by, by the way what was the book
1: called again It's called Thoughts and Feelings. Thoughts and Feelings. It's like It looks like kind of like a textbook because it's like an exercise book. So it literally has areas that you like write in and like little multiple choice texts that you take. So it's kind of like you have like a chapter of like maybe 10 to 15 pages on like the actual content and then some exercises that you write about it as well. And it's cool because you don't have to read every single chapter. It actually tells you which chapters to take depending on what you're struggling with within your mouth within your life. Like are you feeling demotivated or are you feeling overly angry or overly anxious or really self-critical? And that'll tell you which chapters you should read and in what order. So it's it's really good.
0: I should yeah. check it out. I should check it out. I, I I always find these things interesting because, you know, like you said, it's really about reframing the, the the way that you perceive the world through through your lens. And one thing that helps is you know noting or, or labeling the thoughts that you have.
1: 100%. Then you
0: realize, you know, you're independent from those thoughts. You're not attached to them, kind of elevating yourself above them. And then in that way, at least you reduce the, the impact or effect that it has on. You.
1: Exactly. And I know that a lot of people talk about meditation is really helping with that of detaching yourself from the thoughts and just allowing them to kind of flow through you. I do meditate like um, I try to do it every day, but it probably ends up being more like five days a week, usually in the evenings. And I find it somewhat helpful for that, but it's more helpful for just like understanding how to calm my mind and my body so I'm able to recognize stress better. But when it comes to like dealing with thoughts and negative thoughts, definitely the cognitive behavioral therapy is, I find personally, way more helpful than meditation. Hmm. Because once I'm able to identify and like name the thought pattern, then I can be like, okay, this is a normal thought pattern that people get stuck into like it's not just me that's experiencing this you can name it and then you can kind of say okay i know that this isn't true or it's not a healthy way to think and you can reframe it for yourself
0: definitely i'll check the book out um so what are some red flags for you in relationships
1: for me it would definitely be someone that's self-centered so if they have a hard time understanding what other people are going through. Like they don't have the ability to ask those questions or really empathize and sympathize. Or if they're always just focused on like, oh, this is going to cost me this much money. And it's like, is that worth it? Or this is going to cost me this much time. And I don't really want to do this. Like, it's just very me centric. Um, that would be probably my biggest red flag. And then um, another one that I would say would be if they don't have good relationships with like people in their lives. Like I know not everyone has a strong relationship with their family, but do they have like a pseudo family around them if they aren't really close with their like you know biological family? So do they have like a really core group of friends that they're able to open up to and be vulnerable with? Or um, you know do they have like a grandmother who's somebody that they really really like can relate to and that they get advice from? Um, I think allowing themselves to be vulnerable, especially since like I'm a straight woman, so I only date guys. And so it's something that I noticed within a lot of young men is that they really struggle with being vulnerable and opening up emotionally. Um, And I think it's just because of how society kind of trains guys they have to be like, especially depending on the the environment that you were raised in. Um, And so that's become a little bit of a red flag that I've learned to look out for because it makes it very hard to actually have a successful relationship with people like that because they're always kind of like closed off, walls up, like don't really want to talk about things aren't comfortable with feeling things even. Mm-hmm. So that can make things really, really difficult.
0: I, I agree. I think the trend is getting better though in general, people are yeah. starting to understand that it's very healthy for you to be able to express yourself, whether it's to your family, friends, someone, you know, otherwise yeah. it gets bottled up and it's dangerous. You know, it builds it resentment, it builds, uh, it can lead to depression and many dark.
1: Yeah, depression. Can lead to like substance abuse issues. People become kind of reclusive, only overly anxious, OCD. Like, there's all these different problems that can result from people just not being able to talk through the things that they're hurt by or their like past failures or issues. And um, yeah, I agree with you. It's so good to see that this is changing, especially within the conversation for men, because again, I think it's just it's considered more acceptable for women to talk about their feelings, which sucks because like everyone should be able to do those things so it's it's a really positive change
0: definitely so we're gonna switch it up a bit now I wanted to know if you were to have lunch or dinner with someone dead or alive who would it be
1: um so I gotta say Elon Musk just because I think he's like super fascinating and I'm sure that this is going to be a very common answer um because he's just like such a like cool guy but I just think his vision for the future of the world is just so interesting. And like, he's just able to dream things that are just like, so uh, like, just absurd in some ways. Like, it's just like, how is that even possible that to have that level of aspiration, but then to have the confidence to be like, no, this is possible. And then to start following that up with like the actions of his business or technology, I think is just incredible. Like, think he's the most impactful person of our generation and that he's really only scratching the surface of what he's able to do. And I also feel like if I were to ask him questions, he would give me a really blunt response, which is the kind of conversation that I would want to have with someone like that. I don't want them to give me like the pretty perfect response. I want them to be really like raw and honest. And um, the reason that I personally wouldn't feel the desire to talk with someone who's dead is that our world changes so quickly that the things that i would want to ask them about or talk to them about would be things that are more relevant to me now or going forward into the future. i'm a very forward-looking person. so i wouldn't have as much of an interest in getting the views of somebody who hasn't seen what our current world is like.
0: Yeah, they don't have that context. And they don't, they don't, have, don't have that context, that yeah. Really interesting because i think the way that he thinks things through is through such a wide and expanded time horizon. Yeah short term oh i want my quarterly review revenue to to show as this and i want to make sure the investors the shareholders are perceiving me this way no oh, he actually expands and he's he's actually looking forward to serving humanity for the better mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. why he's able to like, do all these things right
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think in some ways he doesn't really even care about the short term like mm-hmm. I remember that, I think this was a few months ago that he tweeted that he's like, oh, Tesla's share price is overvalued and it's his own company. And then of course yeah. the stock starts plummeting. And it's just like, who other than Elon Musk would do something like that? Like he just does not care, right? He'll just say it exactly like it is, even if it's not in his best interest. So I really admire that.
0: And I hope that other people find inspiration in that because he is kind of like a gatekeeper in that in that sense. He opened up the gate to, this kind of behavior yeah. and really hope other people get inspired to think this way as well you know
1: yeah i totally agree
0: okay so what's uh, what do you think is the most important invention of the 21st century
1: the 21st century. Uh, does the internet count in the 21st century or would that fall into that?
0: Actually, every time I ask that question, I, I, I say excluding the internet because that's oh. not new anymore, you know, it's there.
1: Yeah, like that would be by far the most important invention. I think that the most important of invention will be the advent of self-driving cars, which of course is just starting to happen. But just looking at the loss of life that we experience within Uh, Like motor vehicle accidents within Canada, 1% of people lose their life because they're involved in a car accident, Mm -hmm. which is just crazy. Like, that's such a mind blowing statistic, especially within young people. It's a leading cause of death. Um, And, like, that's not even including people that are like injured or like paralyzed for life or like lose their vision or whatever it is. Um, So, I think that that's going to be something that's really, really groundbreaking and will make way for a lot of other evolutions within. Um, society as well. And then I think another invention will be reinventing how like capitalism and how like Western society works and functions. Like which sounds crazy, but I think because of all this automation, including self-driving cars that we're going to be seeing, we're really going to have to rethink what it means to be a citizen of a country and how it is that we get paid and how wealth is distributed. Um, because the wealth gap that we experience now is just going to become even wider. as things are automated like it's and i truly think that that's the most pressing problem that we have um in my view even more dire than um climate change would be wealth inequality and wealth gaps um because yeah it's not sustainable and any time that you have a very very small segment of the world or the population making so much money and living in such a different lifestyle and having so much power a lot of the other problems that the rest of the world faces won't ever be fixed because the people that actually have the ability to make those changes aren't experiencing those problems like we even experienced that with covid that it's called a poor person's illness or like the shutdowns have really only impacted people that are in the middle class or poor like it hasn't really affected the affluent like they're still able to go off and travel on their private jets and they're still like able to work from home and they have Nannies that they just end up having living from their house, so like schooling isn't really an issue for their children right and I think this equ- applies across so many other aspects and issues that we're going to face that we need to change and reinvent how wealth is distributed within um, the western western world and i don't know necessarily what that solution is, like different people suggest things like universal base incomes, which we've kind of seen like a bit of a test for right within covid but Um, I think a true universal base income where it's not based on your employment status, unlike every other program that we've experienced so far, including like CERB has been based off of you not having a job. Um, Whereas if you make it so it's not tied to employment, people will still seek out employment, um, but it'll just ensure that everyone at least has like enough to survive. (laughs) And you're redistributing some of that wealth that's being so concentrated at the top of our of our society
0: that's That's a good point, and you know this whole universal basic income, I think people are going to start thinking about it more seriously as AI starts to become more predominant in our society mm-hmm. as well you know if if it's going to let's say take the majority of jobs or at least allegedly take the majority of jobs, then something like the universal basic income would be necessary um, to to actually Take care of that and yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned i don't know if you've read 21 lessons for the 21st century but it's Mm-mm. a very interesting book no uh, i haven't check it out uh, the author is you all know like the same guy who wrote sapiens uh, oh
1: interesting okay yeah
0: check it out it's it's yeah. right like along this conversation that we're having
1: oh sweet yeah i think again like automation is a fantastic thing self-driving cars are fantastic but They can create a lot of disruption within how society is if it's left, um, you know, unchecked. And like for instance, in the U.S., the most common job in the in the U.S. is being a truck driver. So what happens when all of our transport trucks are autonomous? Which, you know, is not that far out of the question at this point. Like, yeah, truck drivers unionize, so you can't really fire someone and replace them with a computer or a robot. But once that person leaves, that it just might not be replaced by a human and might just get replaced by a self. Exactly. And like, I don't think that that technology is necessarily wrong. It's actually great because it will lead to the betterment of society. Things will be more effective and efficient and tons of lives will be saved because of it. But it's just like, okay, so then what do these people who would have been truck drivers do instead? Like, how are they going to make their livings? And how can we make sure that the people who, own those fleets of self-driving cars that are making all this money because they're basically replacing all these employees for a fraction of the cost. And then they're collecting all that, all those fractions, which is a huge amount of money. How do we make sure that their wealth is redistributed, Exactly. Um, but not through like the means of necessarily high taxes? Cause we know that that doesn't really work. So it's, it's just a really interesting problem.
0: It is. And like you said, maybe the answer is not, capitalism versus socialism versus whatever anymore maybe we need to come up with a whole new model yeah
1: i think we do yeah yeah a whole new model
0: so what about the future excites you
1: um what about like my future or like the future of the world either either i mean what about my future would be i'm 27 now so i'm just really excited to be into the stage of like my 30s and be able to like know be close to that stage where like things are a little bit more settled like you have a family of your own and a house and like it's not necessarily that i'm like close to those things but i'm just excited to be close to that point in life um so that would be something i'm excited for the future of and then within society as a whole that's a good question i think the world in general even though we're led to believe that it's becoming a worse place is actually becoming a much better place um there's this book that i read i can't remember what it's called but it's about how the world by every single metric is actually becoming a better, safer, healthier place to be in. So like child mortality rates are going down. um, Literacy rates are going up. Violent crimes are going down. um, Pollution is going down. Life expectancies are going up. Like every single measurement that you can really think about is actually improving. So I think we have a lot to be really optimistic about for like the future of the world. Um, Obviously like with all the socio- like political uprest that there is within the us in particular right now it is definitely unnerving um but i have great confidence that like you know the people will kind of pull through and that society will end up being a better place despite all the conflict that we're seeing right now
0: hopefully i mean hopefully. That's, that's a good way to look at it I mean,
1: yeah
0: a positive way to look at it for sure and i do agree you know by by every measure we're we're doing a lot better and really you know the next the next set of things that we need to think through and hopefully the leaders would actually lead this uh, thought process would be, how are we going to deal with the major disruptions that are coming our way? Because it can, it can topple either side, right? It can be good. Can. So it's, it's yeah. in our hands. Really.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so do you have any questions for me?
1: Um, what would you say that your Ikigai, if I'm saying that rightly, correctly is
0: my ikigai right now is to form meaningful relationships that's that's on on top of my list because the more that i grow the more i realize the importance for me the importance mm-hmm. of family friends how how much quality there is to that so mm-hmm. i'm always looking to strengthen that through, through serving through you know being useful in in society in, in any way shape or form that i can
1: that's good. That's a good mission to have and to be on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what it is. So Laura, this, this was the set of 10, 11 questions that, you know, I had, and I know you're busy. I want to thank you for joining. It's, it's been really nice talking to you, seeing you.
1: Yeah. Likewise. It was so great catching up and thanks for the thought provoking conversation. I love doing chats like this and I think they're just like so healthy and good for the soul.
0: Definitely. Appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Cool. Yeah, my pleasure.